you commit to, if you're a preacher, is when you're going to take a book of the Bible, you cover the whole book. Not selected parts, not the parts you like, parts that are easy, but um, all of the parts. Chapter 11, I would say, and you could probably picture it from a reading, um, is one of the more challenging chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul is beginning by telling them the importance of things. And if you're visiting with us or if you're new here at Eagle Heights, we've been going through 1 Corinthians much of, on Sunday morning, much of this year. And the Corinthian church was birthed by the Apostle Paul in a very wicked place. You that have been here know that I've equated it to going to Las Vegas, Nevada and starting a church down in the inner city. That might give us even a little picture of how challenging and how difficult. So Paul plants his church. Many get saved. Paul turns the church over to others. He moves on because he's an evangelist, a missionary going about planting other churches. He gets word from one of the families in Corinth, the house of Chloe, and he gets a letter from some in Corinth about problems that are happening in the church at Corinth. And God obviously has put this in the word of God for us that we could learn because we are no different today. The world, the world's philosophy, the world system of thinking is anti-Christian and it's trying to infiltrate the church at all points. And I titled the message Heads Up about Headship because Paul is saying to the Corinthians, hey, heads up. And then he gets into some of the head things between men and women here. In fact, um, it reminded me of my growing up days. I love to play baseball up in Illinois. And um, it seemed like we never had 18 people together to play a regular game of baseball. And so when we had fewer people, if we had far fewer, we would play a game called 500. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Few of you know. And, and 500 was somebody would bat, throw the ball up and bat it. And anybody that was there um, that wasn't batting would be out in the field. And if you caught a fly ball, you got 100 points. If you got a one bouncer, I think it was, you got 50 points. If you got a ground ball, you got 25 points. And the goal was to get to 500 points, because guess what happened if you got to 500 points? You get to bat. Who didn't want to bat, right? But here's the thing that stuck in my mind. One day I was out there, and um, we had more than normal numbers. Fielding, with their gloves on, and... um, The guy was batting. I was out in the field. And um, I remember that a couple of the boys were talking and were really distracted. And this guy was hitting the ball. And you obviously had to jockey for position to catch the ball. And and I am not competitive, so I would always stand back and let others catch it. But, But this occasion... I saw the ball coming, it was beyond me, and I remember turning around saying, 
heads up. And what I was doing was I was letting them know the ball was coming their way. They needed to pay attention. They needed to have their heads up. That is really um, not maybe the best example, but it is an illustration of what Paul is doing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. What I would like to do, I would like to look at this passage, first 16 verses, as it relates to four themes that show up in the text. So if you're taking notes, um, we will go over these themes. And really the themes are all based around the relationships in a body of believers. He's writing to the Corinthians, but he's also writing to us, is he not? Because all scripture is given by inspiration and God is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the men and women of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God has written to us, even though this was specifically written to the Corinthian believers. So I want us to think about these themes this morning. And the first theme that I would like to mention to you is the theme of uh, morality. Morality. You say, I didn't see anything in this text about morality. Well, that's where this cultural understanding becomes very, very important. For you see, in that culture, it was very common that the women would wear head covering, and that head covering would symbolize subjection, submission to authority. Husband and wife would relate And in the church, it would relate as well. There was a distinction. We think about today, do do we not see that clothing still has an important aspect in how we relate to people, how we see people, what we see people doing? If you see somebody out on Brighton Avenue like they were this week, early school time, and uh, they had blue uniforms on with shiny badges, they were conveying a message that they are in authority, drive the speed limit. Okay, a couple of schools along here on Brighton Avenue, ours being one. And so dress has always been a a factor. It's typically what? The first thing you see when you see somebody. Hopefully you see clothes. But the importance is that you and I, need to understand what Paul is really conveying here. For you see that when a woman in the world decided to be independent, today we would call it the feminist movement, ERA, Equal Rights Amendment, that was tried to get passed for all the years, um, they would generally and typically to show their defiance and to show their independence, 
they would take off their head covering and they would walk around that way. And it's obvious here that Paul was addressing some men and women, but women particularly in the church, that were showing independence. Do you realize that how you and I dress reflects what we think about our God, what we're idolizing or worshiping, those things are important. And I know clothes are a touchy subject. Be careful, Pastor, but this is about clothing here, and particularly head covering. And so one of the ways, if you look at the history books about Corinth, one of the predominant things that was happening culturally was the women that wanted to get rid of their head covering were particularly emphasizing their sexual license. Sexual license. In those days, there were a lot of immoral men taking multiple wives and mistresses, and you see it throughout Scripture, uh, a violation of what God intended, one man, one woman for life, Adam and Eve. But it would be a way of showing defiance. Is that happening today? It's happening today, isn't it? I, uh, I know you're going to think I'm a little bit off my rocker here, but um, I enjoy reading Supreme Court cases. They're so fascinating. And I was reading about a case to be heard here in October. True story, you can check it out. It happened in New Hampshire. I forget the name of the beach. But a lady decided if a man didn't have to wear a top, she didn't need to. And others took up, other ladies took up the same cause, and they were arrested. And they have taken it all the way through the courts, and SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States, is going to be hearing the case this October. And you and I would say, that would never happen in the church. I hope not. But you know what? What in the world, the humanistic, self-centered, me first, me only world, is infiltrating the church when it comes to this matter of dress? And, and the importance here is that when the ladies in Corinth were taking off their head covering, nobody outside there understood what they were doing other than to say they're in defiance against gender and distinctions and morality and modesty. Does that make sense? You follow what I'm saying here? And so culturally, it really becomes significant for us to understand that we don't live in this culture. And yet, in many, many cases, we see um, that spirit of defiance. I can dress any way I want to dress. It makes no difference. It's nobody's business but mine. 
But the truth of the matter is, we even looked at it here in Corinthians, the Bible is replete with admonition to not be a stumbling block to another believer or to the world. We need to be thinking about every aspect of our Christian walk. And that includes our moral standings, our appearance, the way we dress, the way we look. It is vitally, vitally important. In fact, I um, went to a fashion and textile source on the web just recently. And they had an article there, and I just want to read some of it to you. It starts out this way. Seduction is traditionally defined as an act of temptation and enticement, often sexual in nature. Throughout history, men and women have utilized seductive clothing to enhance physical attractiveness, as well as to convey a sense of, their words, power and social status. Didn't end there. They go on to say, and I'm not reading the whole thing to you, um, they, they go on later on and say, the proximity of clothing to the body is inherently sensual, conveyed through the strategic interplay of exposure and concealment. Those words were written by a gal named Colleen Hill. She's the curator of an organization called Seduction. And I don't think anybody has come today to be seductive in any way. By the way, could I mention something? The first mention of immodesty in the Bible is in the book of Genesis, and it doesn't have to do with women. You remember Noah? He got drunk. He was naked and his sons had to walk in backward with a sheet of some kind to cover him up. Cover him up. So it becomes very, very important for us to understand. One of the things Paul is saying here is this. Ladies and men, but particularly here, ladies, be so careful about not giving the appearance of being conformed to the world. Boy, is it quiet in here today? <laughs> By the way, I see no lady with a headdress on. Okay? But he talks about hair here, doesn't he? Because he's really talking about the importance of what message are we conveying. Should we be a testimony to the lost world? Absolutely we should be a testimony to the lost world. Do we have to look like the world, act like the world, sing like the world, entertain ourselves like the world to reach the world? No, we do not. In fact, the opposite is true. We don't have to be weird ducks. We don't have to look strange and indifferent. But it's not about conforming to them to be a witness. It's about showing them there is a better way. It's called the Bible way. It's called living according to the word of God. We won't go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, but there's much there about modesty and shamefacedness. 
God is concerned about our morality. We've already looked, haven't we, and seen some of the terrible immoral acts that were actually happening in the church at Corinth. And we've looked at that in weeks gone by. So there is the morality question, the morality question, and how important it is for us to understand that we have a responsibility to one another. We are to love our brethren, pray for our brethren, be kind to our brethren. We are to do all kinds of things. The last thing we want to do is be a stumbling block to one another in this area of morality. Some years back at one of our men's meetings, Matt Fisher shared a series of messages entitled Every Man's Battle. The moral question is a big deal. It's amazing how much of the scripture conveys and talks about immorality, fornication, adultery, and the list goes on and on and on. I wrote this down. Lust, promiscuousness, are rampant anti-Christian desires and are visible everywhere but it shouldn't be in the church. Paul is saying our attire can be Christ-honoring, modest, or it can be seductive, casual, and a stumbling block to others. Morality. Let me give you another one. I've already touched on it, but another key theme found in these verses is the theme of authority. We talk about the idea of headship. And I don't know about you, But one of the things that really caught my attention from this passage was found in, um, let me find the verse for you, the verse that mentions angels, verse 10. Did you notice this? But for, uh, for this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. The word power there is the idea of control. A woman ought to be able to, should control what she's wearing on her head. And then it says, because of the angels. Does that strike you as, what are we talking about? Well, there were some that would say, well, angels are spirit beings. And therefore, because the Christian life is not just about our body, but it's about our spirit as well. That the spirit of angels watching, we talk about guardian angels and we talk about those things. But you know, I think there's a, another more significant truth that is interesting. I had never thought about it before until I looked at this text. And I'm not going to have you go there this morning for sake of time. But in Exodus chapter 37, in Isaiah chapter 6, in Ezekiel chapter 1... It talks about angels coming before God. And in every case, do you know what the angels do when they come before God? They cover themselves with their wings. They cover themselves. A sign of respect. A sign of 
acknowledging God as the ultimate authority. So it becomes vitally important that not only do we in our in the church convey moral standards, holiness, purity, living the way we should live, living according to the word of God, but we also need to be people of authority, under authority, understanding authority and submission. And I remind us, this is just one text, and the focus here seems to be women to men, very clearly, but and typically wives to husbands. But the important thing is, isn't it true that we're all to live under submission? Submission to God. In the beginning, the text talks about the importance there. You saw it, but I would have, verse 3, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. We have submission to Christ. And the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. When you and I, here's our problem with authority. If we're under authority, the world wants to convey that therefore you're not equal with, you're not as smart as, you're not as good as the person in authority. That's a lie. How do I know? The example here is Christ to God. Christ is 100% God, had every attribute of God. And yet, what did he say when he took on human form and walked on the planet? I must do the works of him that sent me. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Total Submission. Now, I would suggest to us that you'll never be good in authority unless you learn how to be good in submission. Would you agree? Are you with me this morning? These are hard topics, I understand. Okay? But they're in the Bible, are they not? Is it not what Paul is addressing here? Is it not? I mean... Do we have any problem in America with moral morality? Do we have any problem in America with authority? I guess so. Only a significant amount. And so it becomes so very, very important. So I think these angels here that are addressed in verse 10 are speaking to how they show respect and submission to God himself. Check those passages out. It's very interesting <coughs> to see what is there. One other thought, not related to angels, but in the church at Corinth, there was a government that was very suspicious of what the church there and the churches there in Corinth were doing. And if you know anything about the Roman Empire and about the, this cultural time, there was a constant demand for absolute allegiance to authority, to government. In fact, if you didn't, you could have some terrible things happen to you. And you know what? I think Paul is saying, hey, listen. 
men and women in Corinth, in the church, born-again believers, convey the right picture of being under authority. It's happening in China today. The underground church has to be so careful because the Chinese government is so concerned about anybody doing subversive things. We know the church in China is not trying to subvert the Chinese government. They're trying to win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Give them the truth. And how important it is for you and I to not be anti-authoritarians in any way, shape, or form. Hey, man, let me ask you something. If we could talk to your boss or bosses today, would they say you are a good example of being submitted to the company's authority and to what they're doing? It's, it's here for us. It's clearly spelled out in Scripture. And I know we're all, we all have this idea, don't we, of you're not going to tell me what to do. I got a better idea. We're going to do it my way. Oh, we need to be careful. And that's one of the things that Paul is addressing here uh, in our text. And why he wants every person in the church to convey proper authority. The scripture is clear that men are to be pastors and deacons. Women can do all kinds of functions in the church, but those two positions of authority in the church are for men. Not because I feel that way, and I'm a man, and I'm biased, but because it's what God says. It's what God wants. And so it becomes very, very important that you and I understand our morality speaks in our relationships. Our submission and being, by the way, I didn't say much about this, but authority is not about being dictatorial. It's about being kind and compassionate and loving and caring, teaching others, helping them, all of those kinds of things. Third thing, it's pretty clear here that Paul is addressing Communicate your gender distinctives. Communicate your gender distinctives. Notice verse 3. Verse 4, excuse me. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. He dishonoreth a position that God Has given to us. Men, we need to be Bible believing leaders in our church, in our home, where we work, where we live, where we shop. We need to be those kinds of men. The kind of men that will speak the truth in love, the kind of men that will have the right kind of manners toward everyone, still works to hold the door open. Still works to help a lady be seated or help find whatever it might be. It's still the way God intends it to be. And how important it is for you and I 
to understand and maintain the gender distinctives that God is addressing here in this chapter 11. Um, Gender distinctives aren't oppressive. God didn't design them to be oppressive. He designed them for our, our good, our benefit. And we need to learn how to manifest all of those things. Lastly, and maybe most importantly, although the word is not mentioned here, the purpose of a church like this and like at Corinth was to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just wrote down these thoughts. What, what, are, the, what are the component parts of the gospel? First of all, we're all sinners. Let's never forget our human nature is sinful. That doesn't mean we do a few sinful things along life's way. That means our very nature is sinful in its bent and its desires. I am guarantee you, all you got to do is visit a nursery. We've got one out there. And you will see sinfulness displayed. Not because any parent in here said, now listen, when you get in the nursery, be as selfish as you can be. Nobody's doing that. It's the way we are. It's the way we're bent. So for you and I, we need to be mindful that we can deal with our sin as believers by confessing that sin. We ought to come to church. We ought to live every day starting with with a perspective. God, is there anything in me, in my mind, in my heart, in what I've done over the last days or weeks or months that I need to confess, that I need to deal with. Because that's going to be the best testimony. This place shouldn't look like the sinful world. We shouldn't act like the sinful world. We shouldn't talk like the sinful world. We should be distinct and different. How important it is. What's the gospel entail? Not only that we're sinners, but Jesus what? Died. He gave up his life. No one forced him. He chose. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have escaped that horrific, terrible death. And yet he died. Can I tell you something? The Corinthian church was not living as Paul addressed it later on in Colossians and in Galatians. They weren't dying to themselves. They were living for themselves, lifting themselves up, doing what they saw the world doing and saying, it's okay, excusing it. We need to die to ourselves. Praise God. Jesus didn't stay buried in the grave, did he? Three days later, he rose again. There's the power. The power for you and I to not only have eternal life. If you're here this morning and you've asked the question, what does it mean when the people talk about being a Christian or being born again? It simply means receiving what Jesus Christ has done. He was sinless. He was 100% man and 100% God. 
And he came to this earth, lived in the Middle East. No sin ever. And he gave up his life. He died on a cruel cross. Why? Because of his sin? Didn't have any. For your sin and my sin. He took our place. The Bible term is propitiation. It's the wrath absorber. He took the wrath that we deserve. But I remind you that the Christian life is not about, clearly here Paul is concerned about all of the liberties that the Corinthians were manifesting that were wrong. They were dead wrong. They had they were manifesting, remember back in chapter 8, all their liberty about food and, and what they could do and what they couldn't do with things related to eating. And here we are talking about head coverings. Because God is concerned that you and I learn how to, how does it say it? Die daily. Die to ourselves. Live to him. Look to him. Ask him for guidance. Are you lifting up the Lord Jesus in your life? I want you to notice one last thing here. And that is verse 16. The gospel is important. It says, but if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. You know, when people demand their liberties, demand not being under authority, demanding to live the way they want to do, dress the way they want to do, all those kind of things, they become contentious. Contentious. The church ought not to be filled with contention because contention is rooted in pride. Only by pride cometh contention, the Bible says. We need to be careful because for the gospel's sake, do you realize right now in Kansas City, just let me just take the Northland. I can name a handful of churches. And there probably are more that I don't know about. But I can name a handful of churches that a pastor is standing up proclaiming the truth of God's word and giving the gospel to God's people. So is Paul saying here. He's saying, hey, listen. It's vitally important that you and I understand that, we, yes, we're in these walls. We don't have any cameras in here displaying what we do out uh, to TV land or radio, whatever. But you know what? People know. People know how we live in our neighborhoods. They know how we act when we shop. I might as well go ahead and say it. They know how we drive. In any number of ways. How we play sports. They know. Paul is saying, listen. Listen, church. Let's be 
the kind of holy, submissive, gender distinctive people we can be. Why? For the gospel. So the gospel can go forward. So people can hear the truth. So people can say, now why do you, why are you so under authority at work? You know, I worked in the business world for seven years. And I can still remember how they would talk at the break time or at other times about authority. Isn't it amazing how the authority is always the bad guy? When you're under authority? That's not what God wants. God wants us to learn how to be under authority. I wrote down these takeaways. Live at home, church, and in the world with moral purity in all areas of life. Respect authority, and if in authority, lead by Christ's example, humble, kind, compassionate. Don't blur the gender lines in any way. That's what Paul was saying here in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 16. We have a testimony to maintain. To please God, for the gospel's sake, people will hear the truth. I wonder this morning, are you living in those three ways? Are you living in a way that you could say is morally right and pure and holy? Are you living in a way that shows you can be a person under authority, whether that be to government or be to an employer or be in your home, wherever it might be, in church, under authority. Are you doing anything to blur the gender distinctives that God has desired? I pointed out that I don't see one lady in here with a head covering on. That was significant back in that culture. It's not, it doesn't convey the same thing today. Okay? But there are a lot of other ways we can convey seductiveness, anti-authoritarianism, blur the lines of gender distinctives, a lot of ways. And my challenge to us this morning as we finish. Would you be honest before God this morning? And address those areas for you personally? And if God has spoken to you through the word of God here. And you feel and you know there are some areas that need to change. You can do nothing better than confess it as sin this morning. And make the changes today. Change what needs to be changed. The gospel message is at stake. Our not being a stumbling block to one another is at stake. And ultimately, God sees and knows everything. Especially what we're thinking in our heart. Could you stand with me, please? Heads bowed and eyes closed this morning.